Welcome in, Chiefs fans. It is the Chiefs Zone Podcast. I am Farzee Musugi, and your host of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. A lot to get into in this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Of course, we're going to be previewing the game between the Chiefs and the Miami Dolphins. How can the Chiefs clinch a playoff spot and win the AFC West? We will break down that game, talk about playoff scenarios, and can the Chiefs get a three seed? That is a possibility. We'll talk about all of that on this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Also, one former NFL quarterback and current analyst called the Chiefs the most dangerous offense in the AFC right now. We'll talk about who said that and why they felt that way about this Chiefs team. Also, uh, we got to talk about this whole catch and no catch drama because uh, it came up with Kareem Hunt, something we did not talk about a whole lot on the last podcast, but I think it needs to be revisited because... Since we last spoke here on this podcast, uh, we had some drama in the Steelers and Patriots game, and I, and I'm not going to do it for the closing segments because I think it really does deserve its own attention here. It's a topic we've got to discuss because it's not necessarily affecting just one team. This is something that's going league wide. The Chiefs have kind of been a victim of it, and I think this is an issue uh, with the NFL, not just with the whole catch rule. There are other things that need to be discussed with officiating and football rules, and I want to get into that in just a moment. Also, Chiefs Pro Bowl list is out, and also a Chiefs player received a weekly honor. We'll talk about both of those in just a moment. I want to remind you guys, you guys can interact with me on social media. Facebook page, always the same. If you guys are new, it is facebook.com slash Vesugian. Like and follow me on Facebook, and a reminder, as always, we will do a Facebook Live at halftime and after every game. So we'll definitely go live on Facebook at halftime and after the Miami Dolphins game. So definitely be on Facebook for that. Also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21 and email me as well, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on iTunes. Share the links if you enjoy the podcast. Let your friends know about the Chiefs Zone podcast. All right, a lot to get into. So hey, let's not waste Anytime. I know you guys are probably going to be listening to this while on the road. If you guys are traveling for the holidays, and if that's the case, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to you all, and please do travel safely uh, this holiday season. All right, let's get right into the show. Let's start with some good news, because that's what, what we like, good news, right? I mean, the Chiefs have won two in a row, and they could make it three in a row, and by doing so, they could lock up the AFC West and clinch a playoff spot, obviously. That's what happens when you lock up a division, but... Marcus Peters, I know a guy who a lot of people have been up and down on throughout the season and, of course, coming back from suspension. Marcus Peters has been named AFC Defensive Player of the Week after his performance against the Chargers. Two interceptions, one forced fumble, and just a great game overall for Marcus Peters, not allowing a single reception. Uh, And a guy with Phillip Rivers who has had the hot hand, I believe, eight games or nine games in a row, he did not throw an interception. Had more than 150 pass attempts without an interception. Had three in this one, a pair of those to Marcus Peters. So he definitely deserves the AFC Defensive Player of the Week honor. Certainly earned it. And by the way, when you look at Peters and how he's played this year, people who have wanted him kicked off the team... I'm going to read you these numbers, and I want to ask you if you really stand, for those who have said that they want him off the team, if you still stand by this. Peters is currently tied fifth in the NFL in interceptions with five. He leads the league with 137 interception yards so far through 14 games. And by the way, he's tied first among all defensive backs in the NFL with three forced fumbles. 
He's having a hell of a season. Now, has he given up some plays yet? And let me just say this, because I think people get the the word lockdown or shutdown corner. They they assume that a cornerback that has that title never allows a touchdown or never allows a reception of some sort. And if you if your definition of a shutdown corner is a guy who doesn't allow a single catch. I mean, you're living in the wrong world. Everyone allows a catch here and there. And Marcus Peters, he got off to kind of a rough start during that 5-0 and start for the Chiefs. But he's been able to bounce back. And for the most part, quarterbacks have shied away from even throwing at his direction. That's how great of a cornerback he's been in the NFL lately. I know that on the stat sheet this year, he hasn't necessarily lit it up. Uh, I know in years past, he, of course, he's been one of the league leaders in interceptions. I, he's, he, I th- believe he had more interceptions in his first two years in the NFL in 2015 and 2016 than the entire Jacksonville Jaguars team during those two years. Uh, so, so, so that really shows just how much Marcus Peters has really meant to this football team. And yeah, I've criticized him certainly for some of his actions, but I've never said that he, he should be kicked off the team. Look, when I... Now, certain exceptions can be made for guys who are big-time playmakers. Of course, you don't want to just kick this guy off the team when you know he can be something really special. Uh, You know he's had such an amazing career so far, and if he can only get better, I I mean, gosh, he could be one of the best players to ever play this game at this position at the rate he is going. And so, obviously, the Chiefs don't want to necessarily part-tise with him. They want to keep working with him, and... You know, with a guy like him, you'll try to be patient as much as you can, and surely that suspension had to be the last straw. And a lot of people have made the comment it, it's not a it's not a any secret that the suspension probably did calm him down a little bit. And I, I mentioned this last podcast uh, when I was talking about how great of a game he had. He missed out on that victory the previous week against the Oakland Raiders. And surely that's a game he wants to be a part of because he's from Oakland, California. And surely a lot of his family members, uh, friends uh, from the area, just people, maybe people who don't know him personally, but people who just know overall, probably keep a close eye on him too. And when you have the the Raiders and the Chiefs going head-to-head, obviously a lot of people from his hometown are watching. And the narrative from his hometown when they talk about Marcus Peters was that he was suspended for this game against his hometown team that he grew up watching, the Raiders. So... He missed out not only playing against his hometown team in an opportunity where people from his hometown would have the opportunity to see him, uh, especially when for those who don't have NFL Sunday ticket or such, uh, they don't they maybe don't get to see him on a week to week basis. So uh, Marcus Peters not only missed out on that opportunity, but also missed out on a win. And it's felt like forever since the Chiefs last had a win. It was uh, the night before Halloween, in fact, in October. So the Chiefs went all of November without a win. So yeah, it's felt like forever since the Chiefs last won a football game. And Marcus Peters missed out on that. So good for Marcus Peters coming back strong. And having this remarkable game against Phillip Rivers. And a very red hot Chargers team uh, coming into Saturday night. And that earned him AFC Defensive Player of the Week honors. And he does earn another honor. Let's get into our next topic here. The Chiefs Pro Bowlers. Those have been released. Travis Kelsey He will be going to his third NFL Pro Bowl, and he's going as a starter, by the way, which I think is intriguing because Rob Gronkowski was a top 10 vote getter 
among all uh, NFL players for, for the Pro Bowl, and somehow Travis Kelsey ended up as a starter. So certainly very impressive for Chiefs fans, or all, I guess all of NFL fans who, who voted him in. Tyreek Hill voted in as a starter. Also, this is going to be his second Pro Bowl. Voted in as a kick returner, as a return specialist in this one. And rookie running back Kareem Hunt and a possible rookie of the year candidate. He gets his first Pro Bowl bid. And those are the three guys guaranteed. Uh, and whether they play or not, they're going to be considered Pro Bowlers since they were voted in as part of the main 53 for the AFC. Now, there are some Pro Bowl alternates for the Chiefs. Quarterback Alex Smith was a top 10 vote getter, certainly fell a little bit, and seemed like Philip Rivers surpassed him during his hot run, which is kind of interesting because generally with these Pro Bowl votes, guys who get off to great starts generally benefit from receiving more votes. Uh, and I guess at some point during the the struggles for the Chiefs and during that winning streak for the Chargers, Philip uh, Rivers, I guess, amassed a lot of votes. A lot of people have asked me about this. I talked about the L.A. factor, the the market, but even then, I don't know if I buy into that a whole lot because look at the fan attendance for the Chargers this season. has not been very big for for Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Chargers, that is. So it's been kind of tough, uh, kind of wondering why Philip Rivers got in, but Alex Smith did. A lot of people were shocked by that. Marcus Peters, also a Pro Bowl alternate, should definitely be voted in as a starter, though. Outside linebacker Justin Houston, another alternate, it was also an alternate last year and barely played. I believe he only played five games, was still voted in as an alternate. Tyreek Hill voted in once again. This time he's a wide, a wide receiver. That's where he's an alternate as. But when you're already there as a kick returner, surely you'll you'll see some time as a wide receiver in that game as well if you do play in that game. And then punter Dustin Colquitt and kicker Harrison Butker, also Pro Bowl alternates. And I'll say this about Harrison Butker, how do you been able had he been on the Chiefs since week one I think this guy definitely would have been voted in as a starter and for the duration of the Pro Bowl voting he had only missed one field goal all year that was his very first attempt uh with the Chiefs and of course in the same game gets that game-winning field goal so Harrison Butker uh also a Pro Bowl alternate for the Chiefs so not bad you got three guys voted in for sure and then you've got six more well, technically five, because Tyreek Hill was voted in as a wide receiver alternate. But uh, you got five more guys also uh, alternates uh, on offense, defense, and a special team. So certainly cannot go wrong there for the Chiefs. Go talk about some somber news a little bit. And I don't want to say bad news, because I don't know if Chiefs fans consider this bad news. Uh, maybe they're happy with the outcome of this. But uh, we got to talk about this whole catch-no-catch catch drama, because... It's going rampant now around the NFL. We saw it in a kind of a close, controversial call with Kareem Hunt, though I disagree uh, with a lot of fans. I think this was a no-catch the way it was called. I thought Hunt uh, not necessarily dropped it. It's just as soon as he put his hands on it, the ball was already on the ground, and Hill was trying to pick it back up, trying to avoid it from, from touching the ground. It's a tough, close call, and... A lot of times with video evidence, it's hard to tell if a football is on the ground or not. Uh, that's a tough one right there. And it's just a, one of those situations where, you know, it could go either way. But this whole drama with the Steelers and tight end Jesse James, I'm sure you guys have all seen this. I posted a picture of this on the on the Facebook page. Jesse James is shown stretching his body out with his knee down. He's not down by contact. No no one touched him. No players touched him. 
but he's he, he crosses the goal line, reaches his arm out with his knee down, and and that is a touchdown right there. As long as the football crosses the goal line, but while the while his hand is coming down, that is where. He stumbles with the football and it comes out, which to me, I, I think that's a fumble because he was not down by contact and because he had possession while he, he his body was coming down, still had possession of the football but when, when he was coming down, the ball came out loose. Now, let me just say this because Steelers fans at the stadium at Heinz Field, they were, of course, booing the call. Now, here's the thing. When you're at the stadium, you obviously aren't hearing what what the analysts are saying. You, you can't hear Jim Nance and Tony Romo. So Steelers fans weren't completely aware of this. The The referees made the right call. Let's not, let's not light up the referees here. They got the call right. It's the rule that people need to take issue with. Now, let me just say this about the rule. We have seen a lot of times where players make a catch, but they're, when they are on their way down, the football does come out. And that, for officials, should be considered as evidence that it's an incomplete pass. And we have seen referees call it correctly. Fans might not like it, and that's got to do with the rule. But referees are calling this correctly. And I think at the same time, it is uh, the fact that we're discussing this shows that it's not a very clear rule. Why is it? That Jesse James can have the football, his knee is down, and, and and again, not not by contact, but he reaches over the goal line with the football, and he's got complete control of everything, but when the ball is coming down with his hand, it comes out loose, and that's con- now considered an in- incompletion. Uh, it also kind of reminds you of the Calvin Johnson situation from a few years ago in, in week one for the Detroit Lions. So, there are a lot of things that need to be revisited with the NFL this year. And it's not just with catches. And I said this at the beginning of the podcast. I'll address this. It's also with interference calls. I see so many times guys get grabbed and get held. And they're looking for a flag. They put their arms up looking at multiple referees asking, what the hell? Where are, where's the flag here? And I've got to say, even if it's uh, my team that should be penalized, sometimes I do, uh, I do give the whole, ah, damn, that, that, that's a penalty. And all of a sudden I don't see a flag there. There's a lot of inconsistency with how things are called with holding and, uh, and interference calls. And let me say this, I don't know if you guys ever saw this or or remember seeing this, but when the NFL tried to rewrite some of their rules with tackling, because at some point there was was a a period where a lot of defensive players were hitting with their heads, uh, with their helmets, helmet-to-helmet hits, which is clearly unsafe, but the NFL came out with a video after rewriting some of the rules and trying to re-clarify everything, they actually came out with a video. And it was on NFL.com, and Roger Goodell did a voiceover of everything and gave examples of legal and illegal hits. And they were, of course, looking at as many hard hits as as they could. I remember Jared Page was used as an example uh, where he leaned in with his body and made a hard hit, and that was considered a legal hit. So I think what the NFL needs to do this offseason, they need to come out with some sort of clarification video. It's something that must be done because as viewers... 
we have the right to know, especially with, and even though the ratings are down a bit, uh, the NFL still gets a lot of, I mean, they, they gather a big audience for for their football games. They really do. So you owe it to your fans to clarify to them why is it that some calls are made and some are not? And what exactly is interference? What exactly is a hold? And why can some defensive players get away with it when it looks like there should have been a flag thrown? What's a catch and what's not a catch? The NFL needs to come out with some sort of a visual presentation to clarify these things. Because if we're if we're sitting here talking about this right now, the NFL absolutely has to come out and provide some examples as to what's a catch, what's not a catch, and clarify the rules for fans. Because, and not just fans, even players and coaches. Guys who should know the rules very clearly. And even when they look up on the video board, when they look at the replay, they'll be jawing out an official and giving them an earful when maybe they don't even know the rule correctly or exactly how it should be. So... There are a lot of things that the NFL needs to do to provide some sort of clarification because there's a big gray area with, with with some of these rules. And I'm not blaming the officials for this. I know people are so quick to judge the the referees on this. We live in that kind of a world. We really do. I think, and, I, and as much as I can be, I, I try not to criticize referees. I honestly think that football games are never decided by referees. But at the end of the day... Uh, look, the referees, they're doing their jobs. It's a very tough job. I know a lot of coaches say this, and I i sound like a broken record repeating what they say, but they really do have a tough job. And even they have to know they don't like the rule, but they've got to call it the way it is in the rule book. So don't be blaming the referees on this one. This is something that Roger Goodell and the NFL League office must come out with and provide some sort of an explanation because... This is something that I don't think even the most diehard NFL fan has clarification on. And that needs to change. And of course, because of that drop, uh, that, that could create some uh, some drama down the road with the seedings in the AFC. Let's quickly look at those before we break down our game between the Chiefs and the Dolphins. The Pats right now have a number one seed at 11-3. The Steelers, number two, also with an 11-3 record. The Jaguars have a 10-4 record. They've got San Francisco and Tennessee coming up, both road games. The Chiefs, meanwhile, are 8-6 with a four seed. They'll be playing the Miami Dolphins in their final home game of the regular season and will visit the Denver Broncos on New Year's Eve to wrap up the 2017 season. Kansas City would currently play host to the Tennessee Titans, who have a five seed right now in the AFC, but all of that can change in the span of two weeks. Now, a lot of people have been wondering, can the Chiefs get a three seed? Yes, they can. They can get a three seed over the Jaguars, but it would require the Jaguars to lose to both the 49ers and the Titans, and that would require the Chiefs to beat both the Dolphins and the Broncos. And with the Chiefs' inconsistency that this year, not so sure how many people are confident in that happening in the Jaguars' Uh, I said this before, I'll say it again. They are not being talked about a whole lot. They are not getting the respect that they deserve. They they really aren't. And this is a team that I think, if you want to pick a dark horse team in, in the AFC, boy, the Jaguars would be a good one to pick because they're not getting the attention that they really do deserve. Dominant defense. This is a defense that uh, I think could 
cause some problems for the Patriots or the Steelers, whoever the Jaguars end up playing in the playoffs, even if they're going to be a road team. And I think that's something that offensive coordinators are going to have to prepare for when they face this Jaguars defense in the playoffs. So Kansas City right now, all they need to do, this is very simple. The Raiders were eliminated Sunday night after losing to, to the Dallas Cowboys. The Raiders needed to win out and the Chiefs needed to lose out in order for the Raiders to win the division. Not going to be the case anymore for the Raiders after a loss to the Cowboys. Now for the Chiefs, it's simple. Win and you are in. You've only got to win one game and you win the AFC West. Or the Chargers can lose a game and that would give the Chiefs the AFC West. The Chargers, by the way, they'll be visiting the Jets this week and then they'll be playing the Raiders in the final week of the regular season. That's their remaining schedule. So again, takes one Chargers loss or one Chiefs victory for Kansas City to win the AFC West. And the Chiefs could win the division for the first time in back-to-back seasons since the 1994 and 1995 seasons when Marty Schottenheimer was the head coach. So it's been a long time since, since the Chiefs have won the division in back-to-back years and there's a golden opportunity for them to do it for the first time in more than 20 years. So definitely an opportunity for the Chiefs to do so. Also an opportunity to make some history here for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, offensively speaking, Travis Kelsey, he is 9 yards away from the 1,000 receiving yard mark. If he can get the 9 yards, it will be Kansas City's first pair of 1,000 yard receivers in a single season since Dwayne Bowe and Tony Gonzalez did it in 2008. And by the way, their quarterbacks that season were Brody Croyle, Damon Heward, and Tyler Thickman. I believe they, they had uh, Marquise Hagans, who was also uh, a quarterback at times, uh, although his primary position was a wide receiver. Uh, they also had Quentin Gray, if I'm not mistaken. I believe he played a little bit for the Chiefs that season when Croyle and Heward both suffered injuries. In the Titans game in week 4 or week 5 that season. Both season ending injuries in that game. But anyway, it would also be the first pair of 1,000 yard receivers in a single season under an Andy Reid coach team. So, obviously a big moment for Andy Reid. And this would really show just how good the offense is. As much as we've criticized Alex Smith during that losing streak. uh, You know, the, the games where he has been great. uh, he's He's been amazing. He really has. And... Uh, he's been putting up big numbers to help the Chiefs get to this point. And one other note about this Chiefs offense, if Kelsey does get the nine yards, it'll be the first time in Chiefs history that a running back, a tight end, and a wide receiver will amass 1,000 receiving or rushing yards in the same year. When you have a running back that'll rush for 1,000 yards, already has rushed for 1,000 yards, and you've got a wide receiver that has 1,000 yards and a tight end who's 9 yards away from 1,000, that really shows you just how great your offense is. And I, I don't care what anyone says. It all starts with the offensive line up front. And yes, this Chiefs team does allow a lot of sacks. Alex Smith is in the top 10 in the NFL in, in most most uh, times that he's been sacked. But for the times that he's not sacked, those, those offensive linemen for the Chiefs are making plays. Kind of an inconsistent offensive line for Kansas City, no doubt about it, but... Uh, when when they're allowing sacks, it sucks. But when they're not allowing sacks, they're making big plays and they're blocking, giving Alex Smith the time he needs. And this offensive line ha- is, is a big reason why the Chiefs. And I know this offensive line isn't getting a lot of credit. Um, maybe it's kind of hard to believe with with some of the statistics you see. But this offensive line is a huge reason why the Chiefs have three one thousand yard players uh, in three different positions at running back. Wide receiver, and it's it's a it it's likely to happen at tight end. It just is. 
And I mentioned this at the beginning of the of the podcast. Former NFL quarterback and current NFL.com analyst David Carr, the brother of Raiders quarterback Derek Carr. So this may surprise you, uh, considering who his brother is. David Carr calls the Chiefs the most dangerous offensive team in the AFC right now. Especially due to the fact that the Pittsburgh Steelers are without Antonio Brown, and he may not come back until sometime in January. And even then, that's more of an optimistic point of view for his timetable coming back for the Steelers. Listen, let me just say this about this Chiefs offense. Because everyone knows about Alex Smith. He's got the highest rating right now in the NFL. Kareem Hunt, a phenomenal season for him. Uh, did kind of have a quiet stretch, but now is back on a roll again, and he's been a big factor in Kansas City's two-game winning streak right now. Tyreek Hill, gosh, I, I really had doubts about him and how he would do on offense, and he was the fourth NFL player to surpass the 1,000 receiving yard mark. So th- that, that just tells you how great of a season Tyreek Hill has had this year. Travis Kelsey, uh, I think it's safe to say, and I know people will, will, will say this, They will say that Gronk is the best tight end when healthy. When you want to talk about Gronk being the best tight end in the NFL, you have to use the phrase, when healthy. And again, I I hate this because injuries are are a crappy thing. They really are. But they're an unfortunate part of, of, of sports. They really are. At the end of the day, injuries are a part of the game. It's Travis Kelsey who is the best tight end right now in the NFL. And I think fans are starting to take note of that too. Look who's the starting Pro Bowl tight end for the AFC. It's not Gronk. It's Travis Kelsey. So a lot of people are starting to take note of the fact that Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in the NFL. He's not a baby Gronk anymore. This guy is... Well, I don't even even want to say he is Gronk. I mean, he's Kelsey. He's the best tight end in the league. And Kansas City's been fortunate to have some really good tight ends... Uh, a couple times uh, throughout the franchise, of course, Tony Gonzalez, the most notable one, at one point shattered every every record for a tight end. Antonio Gates has now kind of taken over in that. And there have been a couple of solid tight ends for the Chiefs over the years. Uh, just kind of looking at the list of who the Chiefs have had, and I, I wrote this for uh, Bleacher Report in 2012. Uh, you've had guys like Keith Cash, Jason Dunn. Uh, Walter White, guys who have been some solid uh, tight ends. And no, I'm not talking about uh, Brian Cranston's uh, character on Breaking Bad, by the way. There really was a tight end in the 70s for the Chiefs named Walter White, for those who may not know, for those who are Breaking Bad fans. But uh, yeah, you had some notable tight ends. And then you've had some dominant tight ends. Uh, Fred Arbenas, of course, uh, had had a hand in helping the Chiefs win a Super Bowl before he retired. And, and Tony Gonzalez, we all know what he did. And Travis Kelsey kind of joining that that small list of Chiefs tight ends who have been the best at their positions during their era. Uh, so definitely nice to see Travis Kelsey get the respect he deserves. I think Chiefs fans have been irritated with the fact that he's been labeled as a baby Gronk, whereas Gronk has always just been Gronk, and he's always been known to, to be the best. And people hated to see Kelsey as the number two. And of course, Kelsey, I think, has kind of a, a bigger fan base outside of Kansas City. Uh, he's of course kind of that diva, that superstar. He also had his own TV show of, um, the bachelor. I can't think of the name catching Kelsey. This is what it was. Um, so he's got, he's of course got a lot of female, uh, female fans that, that follow him. And of course probably voted him in because they were fans of that show. But overall Kelsey's, I, I think stats show it, uh, 
Injuries, yeah. I'm not going to say injuries aside because injuries are part of the game. Uh, I could sit here and tell you that injuries aside, Jamal Charles could be the best running back last year or the year before, but injuries are are, are part of the game uh, in a punishing and unforgivable way. And that's just the cold hard truth for that. So there you have it. That's uh, I got. I know I got a little off topic there, but there you have it. I mean, that's really what this Chiefs offense has has really been talked about so much this year. With with, with the playmakers you have, you've got a, a the best tight end in the league. You've got probably the most dynamic wide receiver. Not necessarily the best, but probably the most dynamic, speedy wide receiver in the NFL right now. You've got a, a, a running back that's just very explosive, not just on the ground, but also can make some plays through the air in Kareem Hunt. And, and this Chiefs, and listen, I think uh, guys like DeAnthony Thomas and Albert Wilson, uh, Demarcus Robinson, they've been able to make some plays here and there. Same with Demetrius Harris. So uh, these are guys who, who who will pull through for, for the Chiefs when the Chiefs, uh, maybe the their star guys are struggling a little bit. Uh, you're not going to get 100 yards on the ground from from Hunt, 100 receiving from Kelsey and, and Hill each game. Uh, maybe two of the three have big games, and generally when, when those two do, when two of the three do have big games, uh, that's generally good news for the Chiefs, and usually they find a way to win a football game there. Let's go ahead and talk about the next football game for the Chiefs. The Chiefs and the Dolphins taking place this Sunday at Arrowhead Stadium. The final regular season game at Arrowhead Stadium. A quick look at the Kansas City Chiefs injury report. Eric Fisher dealing with an illness, as is Travis Kelsey. Neither of them participated in practice on Wednesday, considering their games on Sunday. Hopefully they have a lot of time to recover this time of year. Unfortunately, people are getting sick here and there, and uh, NFL players are not immune to that. Tom Bahali, I mean, nothing against protocol here, uh, dealing with that knee injury. Uh, not necessarily an injury, just sore knees really is what, he, what he's been dealing with. Uh, Kevin Pierre-Lewis dealing with a shoulder injury, did not participate in practice on Wednesday. Uh, four guys who were full participants listed on the injury report. Jarvis Jenkins, defensive lineman dealing with an elbow injury. Benny Logan, another defensive lineman with a knee injury. Also got Eric Murray with uh, with an ankle injury. The safety there. And Albert Wilson uh, has a hamstring and a shoulder issue, but still was a full participant for the Chiefs in practice this week. For the Miami Dolphins, I'll just go over kind of the notable ones. Devontae Parker, one of the wide receivers for... The Dolphins, uh, dealing with an ankle injury, did not participate. And Ndamukong and Sue, dealing with a knee injury, did not participate in practice on Wednesday. But Ndamukong and Sue was questionable for last week's game. So uh, he did end up playing against the Bills. And he is expected to play this week against the Chiefs. Let's look at the Dolphins' offense. 29th in total offense. 20th in passing and 29th running the football. They're averaging 18 points per game. That is the 7th fewest in the NFL and let's talk about Jay Cutler for just a moment. Close to 2,400 passing yards for the season. He's got 18 touchdowns and 14 picks. And those 14 picks are tied with Roethlisberger, Simeon, and Mariota for second most in the NFL. He's got an 80.6 quarterback rating this season. He had three touchdowns and no picks a couple of weeks ago when the Dolphins stunned the Patriots on Monday Night Football. Only six days later against the Bills had no touchdowns and three picks this past Sunday. So... Uh, kind of a, a different shift. And I know generally when you see a team come away with a win like that against the Patriots, you think to yourself, look, you, you can play at this level 
if you show up like that on a on a week to week basis, but Jay Cutler uh, definitely did not do that, and that's why the Dolphins are where they are this season. Uh, bright spot on the team for them, running by Kenyon Drake, who has replaced Jay Ajayi, got traded to the Philadelphia Eagles earlier this year, has 512 yards and three touchdowns, a 4.8 yard per carry average. This season ran for 114 yards in that stunner over the Pats. Had 16 carries for 78 yards, and also had six catches for 35 yards in the game this past week against the Bills. Here's a challenge for Marcus Peters in this game going up against Jarvis Landry. Has 98 catches for 844 yards and eight touchdowns. Kind of interesting numbers there. The 98 catches. The second most behind Antonio Brown, who just got hurt. So very likely that Jarvis Landry could become the league leader in receptions this year. His eight touchdowns are tied for sixth most with seven other players. Landry has very little production, though, when he does catch the football. 844 yards. He averages 8.6 yards per catch. He has only three catches for 20 yards or more. That is the fewest among players in the top 30 in reception. So yes, he catches a lot of footballs, but generally does not get very far with them. So kind of an up and down stat right there for uh, for the Miami Dolphins offense. Not necessarily, I mean, the 98 catches are great. You're completing passes, you're moving forward to, in some capacity, but not by much uh, that you would like to for a wide receiver. Definitely a below average wide receiver when it comes to yards uh, or average yards per catch. Kenny Stills, former Big 12 standout at Oklahoma, has 51 grabs for 759 yards and 6 touchdowns. Devontae Parker, a speedy guy coming out of college, 46 catches for 388 yards and a touchdown. And tight end Julius Thomas, former Bronco, not the same dominant tight end he was when Peyton Manning was playing with him, has 41 grabs for 388 yards and 3 touchdowns on the season. Uh, a, a really below average offensive line, and maybe that's putting it nicely Pro Football Focus's highest rated offensive lineman on the Dolphins is right tackle Sam Young with a 67.1. So take that for what you may, for what it's worth. But uh, the way PFF grades them, they are not very good for the Miami Dolphins offensive line. The defense on the other side, look, they're either average or just a little below average or just a little above average when it comes to their defense and all the yards they give up in certain categories, whether it's total defense, uh, against the pass, stopping the run. But here's a set that matters the most. Doesn't matter how many yards you allow or, or, or you know, if you allow the fewest, it's always looking at the points. And they're allowing 24.4 points per game, the sixth most in the National Football League. Kiko Alonso, the former Buffalo Bill, also an Oregon Duck grad, one of the better linebackers in the game today. He This is his third 100-tackle season uh, for the fifth-year guy, missed the entire 2014 season. Has 101 tackles on the season right now. Right behind him, Rashad Jones, the safety, has 99 tackles. Also has a pair of sacks this season. Defensive end Cameron Wake leads the team in sacks with nine on the season. And Ndamukong Sue, I mentioned him, uh, was questionable going into last week's game. Still played and is expected to play this week. Quiet year, statistically speaking, four and a half sacks, still managing to disrupt uh, the pocket, giving offensive linemen and quarterbacks a lot of issues this year. He also has, he had three and a half tackles for a loss in the, in the game last week against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Sue also has two forced fumbles on the season. The leading interceptor on the team is Zavian, Bra- uh, or Zavian Howard, excuse me, uh, four picks 
on the season uh, leading the team in that category. And looking at special teams, kicker Cody Parkey, very good kicker this year. 18 of 19, his only miss was 50 yards away in a 42-zip loss to Baltimore. uh, Punter Matt Hack, 14th in net average punt yards and 20th in gross average punt yards. Wide receiver Jakeem Grant, he handles the return duties both on kickoffs and punt returns. Ninth in kick return yards, uh, average yards, I should say, and 17th in average punt return yards. So slightly better kick returner than he is a punt returner, but has not necessarily been dominant, has not necessarily been known to make any big plays. Just has a, a bit of a higher average than most kick returners out there this season. A top 10 kick returner when it comes to average return yards. This is where I think Kansas City can do some damage and come away with a win. We've seen what Kansas City's been able to do the past couple of weeks in the turnover category. The Chiefs have dominated the turnover category in the last two games against the Raiders and the Chargers by a combined result of 7-1 to one takeaways. So uh, they get, they committed a turnover in the Raiders game, uh, but got three takeaways in the Raiders game, uh, four against the Chargers. So you know Kansas City's defense is looking to have another big game when it comes to the takeaways. And when you look at it, what the Miami Dolphins have done this year, I think uh, this bodes well for Kansas City in this football game. Miami is third worst when it comes to turnover differential with minus 11. Denver is minus 15. And my God, Cleveland is at a minus 25. I said Cleveland was going to win five football games this year. Damn. Uh, Was I wrong about that? Miami has 26 giveaways on the season. That is the third most. The Chiefs have nine giveaways. That is the fewest. So when you're uh, when there's a matchup where it's the team that commits the fewest giveaways versus the team that that commits the third most giveaways, that's not a very good matchup to have. Uh, at least if you're Miami, for Kansas City, great thing to have. So the Chiefs definitely going to try to benefit from that and take advantage of Miami's inability to take care of the football. And by the way, Miami twenty interceptions thrown this season. That is the second most. In the NFL, I told you earlier, Jay Cutler is tied with a couple other quarterbacks for second most interceptions on the season with 14 this year. Uh, Below average in takeaways with 15, nine picks and six fumble recoveries. So not a big threat there. Maybe Kansas City commits one uh, giveaway in this one here, but certainly nothing to be afraid of with the Miami Dolphins. Look, uh, I'll say this, and I think my, my score might surprise some people, but Kansas City, I think, has kind of surprised us in how they've looked in some games. They continue to be a mysterious team. You never know exactly which Kansas City team is going to show up, whether they'll play great football for four quarters or if they'll just dominate for a quarter here and a quarter there. Uh, but I think for the most part, Kansas City will take care of business. Uh, they'll have a little bit of trouble here, but not too much. The defense has done a tremendous job uh, lately as far as scoring goes. The defense has allowed 18.8 points per game in the last five games. That includes allowing 38 points against the New York Jets. So I know a lot of people were upset after that game. I know a lot of people, I mean, that was like the final straw for them with Bob Sutton. But look, that was just one bad football game the defense had. The defense shut down uh, the Buffalo Bills and the Giants, putting the team in position to win. It's not It's not the defense's fault. The offense could not capitalize on the defense limiting the, the opposing team on, on such few points on the scoreboard. So, look, a one bad game, and still in the last five games, this defense has allowed, on average, 
18.8 points per game, excuse me. So that just shows you right there. No, this defense has not been perfect. And for some reason, it's been like this for, for, for a couple of years now. But this defense at the end of the day is a bend, don't break defense. It can, it can hurt them in the long run. We saw the Jets find a way to get through it. And so the, the Titans and the Bucks last year. But more times than not, the defense does not allow teams to do what they were able to do with the time of possession in those games. So the defense will do their job. And given how how bad this Miami team is with turnovers and with uh, with their offensive yardage and how much they score, looks like Kansas City is going to find a way to shut this team down and come away with a win. I just don't know uh, if this dominant Chiefs team is going to show up, if it's going to be a, a, a very weak Chiefs team, or if it's going to be a mixture of both. Uh, I'm just going to say it's going to be a mixture of both. I think we may see some struggles here and there, but we'll also see some major highlights, some home run plays here and there. So I'm going to pick Kansas City to win this one, 24-10. And regardless what happens with the Chargers against the Jets, Kansas City's win will be more than enough to win the AFC West, eliminating the Chargers from playoff contention and locking up the AFC West, guaranteeing at least one home game in the playoffs this year. That's all you can really ask for from the Chiefs at this point. So Kansas City... I think he's going to win this game against the Dolphins and at, and they will take the AFC West this season. Let me know your guys' thoughts. Facebook.com slash Farzim Vesugian. A reminder, we'll do a Facebook Live at halftime and after the game this Sunday, so be t- sure you tune in for that. Facebook.com slash Farzim Vesugian. Twitter.com slash Farzim21. And also email me, Farzim at FarzimVesugian.com. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. Here's one that's highly debated. The Packers are going to shut down Aaron Rodgers for the remainder of the of the season since the Packers are eliminated from playoff contention and Aaron Rodgers, yeah, I mean he's still recovering from the shoulder injury and, and listen, I, I think this is a great move. Shoulder injuries are never to be taken lightly, especially for quarterbacks and surely Rodgers is not fully recovered, not necessarily 100%. Let his offseason begin now. And I know a lot of Packers fans may be upset because maybe they still have a ticket for a Week 16 or Week 17 game and they want to see the best of the best. And I completely understand that. But look, at the end of the day, football is a business. And you've got to take care of your players. And if a player is not... I mean, I understand. I mean, And I don't agree with this fully, but sometimes coaches and players will want to still put their best players out there even if they may not be 100% with their injury. No one's 100% as far as stamina goes or their bodies go late in the year, but if, if someone's injured, they've got to be 100%. And with the playoffs on the line, a playoff spot on the line, the Packers tried to go all in and brought Aaron Rodgers back maybe a little sooner than some people thought he'd be back for. A lot of people thought he'd be back in January, but instead he came back a little sooner. And after the loss and the Vikings winning, well, why do you need to put Aaron Rodgers out there? He's still recovering, and there's no reason to risk him when you're not even fighting for anything. So let him prepare for the playoffs for next season. And speaking of next season, could we see a different Seattle Seahawks team moving forward. Now notice I didn't necessarily say are the Seattle Seahawks going to be a bad team moving forward. I still think the Seattle Seahawks can be one of the better teams in the NFL. I just don't think they'll be as dominant anymore as they've been in recent years. And listen, the Seahawks still have a chance to make the playoffs uh, in a very competitive 
conference where there are going to be a lot of teams uh, worthy of a wild card spot may, may not even get, get in. Uh, but look, uh, so many injuries across the NFL this year, and the Seahawks have been a victim of that. And even before the injuries, though, I don't, I don't know if the Seahawks have really just been that same dominant defense that we're used to seeing. And listen, not all good things can last forever. I get that too. But this seemed to last a little shorter than some people thought. The Legion of Boom, and I think we're going to see them kind of break apart. And maybe some guys go their own separate ways. And next thing you know, um, this Seahawks team, which I, again I still think is going to be good. I just don't think they're going to be that same dominant team that we have been so used to being familiar with and just knowing overall. So I think the Seattle Seahawks, we're going to start to see a much different Seahawks team moving forward. Let's go out of bounds. Looks like Eric Hosmer might be staying in Kansas City. A lot of us thought that we definitely saw the end of Hosmer, Moustakas, Lorenzo Cain, Alcides Escobar. Well, we haven't heard a lot about them signing elsewhere, and sounds like the Red Sox, they're going to go in a different direction with first base, and that opens up the opportunity for Eric Hosmer to return to Kansas City. Uh, so, listen, there may be an opportunity, and a lot of people thought that maybe Hosmer could go to the Padres, but they're kind of in a rebuilding mode. So maybe there's a chance that Eric Hosmer stays in Kansas City. Maybe there's also a chance that Mike Moustakas could be back, so... I know things have been kind of, kind of, kind of optimistic for Royals fans in terms of trying to get all of their players back and all. But let me just say this: the Roy and I know the bullpen hasn't been great the past couple of years, but these Royals—they've been here for a couple of years and they didn't even finish above 500 for these two years. Now, again, I understand that maybe with a better bullpen, uh, like the ones we saw in the postseason those two years, maybe maybe things would be a little little bit different record-wise, but at the end of the day, this is a Royal team that is still underperformed, especially offensively, and they've kind of struggled offensively, even the in the regular seasons when they made it to the playoffs, with the exception of 2015. 2014, not the greatest offensive output, low, uh, fewest home runs in MLB history for a team making it to the playoffs and eventually the World Series. So look, it, it's great if you can get guys like Hosmer and, and Moustakas, and even if you can get one of the two uh, guys from the Grinky trade, uh, Esky or Ken or even both to stay uh, I, I still think there's a lot of work to be done with this baseball team yes those four are, are important for the team and all but uh, it also goes beyond those four guys uh, let's not forget about that and then there doesn't seem to be a lot of changes with the pitching staff so far and I think that could be the Achilles here for the Royals once again one thing I do want to talk about outside of Kansas City, Kobe Bryant. And I can't believe how many texts and notifications I got regarding Kobe Bryant. And listen, I'm signed up for Bleacher Report and ESPN, but my God. Uh, I mean, were people just all over the Kobe Bryant jersey retirement ceremony? I mean, good Lord. I'd never see. I thought LeBron got a lot of coverage. I thought Conor McGregor got a lot of coverage. But uh, Kobe Bryant in one day for a jersey retirement ceremony got more coverage than I had ever heard LeBron ever get, or Tom Brady, uh, or Colin Kaepernick even. Uh, This was, I I felt like it was a little too excessive, but a lot of people are asking the question, is Kobe the greatest Laker of all time? Listen, Kobe's considered one of the best NBA players of all time. You know, he's, a lot of people, you know, some people say he's better than Jordan, but most people say he's right behind Jordan, and LeBron James also part of that category as well part of that mix 
But when you talk about the greatest Laker of all time, a lot of people bring up Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who are also some of the greatest, but they were never Michael Jordan or LeBron or Kobe great. And I think that's a very kind of an interesting but also very confusing thing to, to kind of talk about because here are guys who have done so much for their careers. Uh, I mean, Kobe Bryant, we all remember him, has had the 81 points, has five NBA titles, had worked with so many different players, whereas Kareem and Magic, I mean, they worked very well together too, uh, but they were never ever dominant in their own way. Listen, I think Kobe is the greatest Laker of all time. The things that he accomplished... Uh, you know, if people want to talk about MVPs and, uh, you know, titles and all that, and I think those are important factors too, but Kobe getting only one MVP, I don't think that's necessarily a reflection as to whether or not he's the greatest Laker of all time necessarily. I, I think certainly competition during a certain era matters, and people will say, look, you've got to be better in your competition to be considered one of the greatest, but I think Kobe was in an era where it was... I don't want to say difficult, but it was a tall order to be one of the best. And even then, he was still one of the best. He just was never the MVP on a consistent basis. He was, he was always number two or number three for for the MVP voting. So he was always up there, I felt like. And he had done so much for this Lakers team. Even when they were without Shaquille O'Neal, didn't have Pau Gasol for a couple of years, they were still one of the more dominant basketball teams out there. Uh, still a, a team that people talked about, and Kobe Bryant kept that team fairly relevant. So I think he's got to be considered the greatest Laker of all time. Final segment of the show, let's throw some penalty flags. We talked about the Steelers and Patriots game, the end of it. Well, I did not bring up was that final play, the interception. Uh, th- that was just awful, poorly planned out, and I don't know who the blame should go to, Roethlisberger or Todd Haley. I mean, no one was even doing anything except for one receiver who Roethlisberger tried to force it into, into quadruple coverage, and it was intercepted. Uh, and he sat on his radio show in hindsight, wish he would have just spiked it, which I disagree with. Listen, w- w- they had, what, three minutes and 21 seconds during that review? While that was happening, when they knew there could have been a possibility, plan another play out. And if you stay inbounds, make sure you have a backup play ready. NFL teams should always know that if you don't have any timeouts and you need to score a touchdown, well, have a, have one play ready. And if you stay inbounds and the clock's rolling, have a second play ready. That way you don't have to spike the football because when you're at the goal line, you can't really afford to spike the football. You need all four of those downs, assuming you don't, you want to forego the field goal and just go for the touchdown to win instead. So, uh, boy, just a bad situation for for the Pittsburgh Steelers in this one. It just looked very ugly. Uh, just, I mean, everyone was basically standing for the Steelers except for Roethlisberger and one one receiver. And you can't do that. You're you're not. You might as well have just overthrown it as much as possible to at least have it be incomplete and stop the time but Roethlisberger felt the need to do something and I think that really hurt the Steelers in this one and uh, you know along with the catch and the and the bad decision uh, if the Steelers have to go and visit New England boy th- those two plays are going to be talked about again that week for the AFC title game alright I gotta be fair here because I have criticized Buffalo Bills fans for doing this for their crazy drunk 
pregame tailgating rituals, jumping into tables, into grills. There was a Kansas City Chiefs fan who jumped into a burning table. Uh, I guess there's a Chiefs fan out there trying to compete with Bills fans for craziest tailgating moment. Listen, uh, what are we doing here? It's okay to drink and have a little bit of fun, but man, what are people doing jumping over tables? I mean, sure, maybe when, you, when you've had too many drinks, you don't feel anything, but at some point, you're going to wake up the next morning and remember, or maybe not necessarily remember, but wonder why in the hell you have so much pain. It's because you were trying to compete with a Buffalo Bills fan because you saw their video on, what, Bleacher Report or Barstool Sports of them doing something crazy, and you thought that you could maybe ante it up a bit, and, no, no pun intended, by the way, with the song in the background, but... Come on, uh, can, can we please just be logical people? Just have fun. I guess that's a that's a tall order to ask. Maybe too much. All right, this is kind of interesting to me because a lot of people say they don't care about the Pro Bowl. I say complete BS. If you don't watch the Pro Bowl, that's totally fine. But let me just say this. Do not act like you don't care about who gets voted in and who doesn't. If you don't want watch the Pro Bowl, that's that's fine. I, I may just watch a couple plays here and there and then t- turn off the TV because we've seen Andy Reid uh, coach these games. We see a lot of Chiefs players participate in these Pro Bowls. But don't act like you don't care about who gets voted in at the very least. People get upset when their players don't get voted in and they say, oh, well, well my players are going to go to the Super Bowl or I don't care. It's just a Pro Bowl vote. But come on, we all know everybody cares. People show their frustration. When you say you don't care, that's translation for I hate the fact that my player, my some of my favorite players did not get voted in. It's okay to admit that. It's a Pro Bowl vote. There's also the AP team that they put out there. There's a reason why they have two of them. The Pro Bowl team and the AP team. So, no reason to get all riled up. Just admit that you hate how the results were for the votes. Not, not, a, not a big thing to admit. And I know that's another thing that's a tall order. For people to admit that there are certain things they like and don't like and are frustrated about. But, hey, what are you going to do? It's a Pro Bowl vote. Get over it. It's not that big of a deal. And I don't think it's it's really anything worth getting upset about. But that is proof that people, at the very least, do care about the Pro Bowl voting. Not the game itself. Just the voting process and the results from it. That'll do it for this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. I'm Farzim Masuki, and a big thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Chiefs and Dolphins taking place this Sunday, Christmas Eve. Reminder to interact with me on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Farzim Masuki, and we'll be doing a Facebook Live at halftime and after the game. So be sure you guys are on Facebook. Wait for the notification, and I will go live, or just go straight to my Facebook page. That works as well. Again, that is Facebook.com slash Farzin Follow me on Twitter at Farzin21. You guys can also email me, Farzin at FarzinVesugian.com. You guys can also subscribe to the podcast through iTunes if you haven't already. If you're a first-time listener or if you've been listening for a long time, you like the podcast, you like the Chiefs, hey, let a friend know about it, let your neighbors know, whoever, you know, whatever Christmas parties you're going to be at this week or you've been at. Hopefully you've been spreading the word about the Chiefs on podcasts. So let a friend know if they're looking for a Chiefs podcast. Let them know about this podcast right here. Spread the word. Uh, and again, appreciate all the numbers, uh, all, all the people listening this year. It's really been tremendous. This has been definitely a lot better than the past couple of years. So definitely appreciate all of you guys who have been tuning in for the podcast this year. So be sure you're subscribed to the podcast and share the links on social media. Help spread the word for the Chiefs on podcast. Let's, let's keep ma- making it bigger. Let's shoot for the stars each time. 
Big thanks once again for you guys listening. Enjoy your holiday weekend. Enjoy your Christmas. Merry Christmas to all of you. Enjoy the games. Happy holidays. Talk to you guys on the next episode, which will be out on Christmas morning, either late Christmas Eve at night or Christmas morning. So that'll be available. So feel free to listen anytime afterwards, and then we'll do our preview podcast Thursday. That'll be out. We'll preview the final regular season game for the Chiefs, the Chiefs and Broncos. Until then, take care. Enjoy your weekend. Talk to you then.